I never got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, no snark, no belief, no debunking. This is the Saucer Life Holiday Special. That's right, it's better than the Star Wars Holiday Special. Honest. We've got poetry, we've got stories. This is coming out on Christmas Day, which means I was producing this episode right when I had massive stacks of exams and papers to grade, so something a little less intense or complex for the holiday season. We've got the full complement of Saucer Life guest voices, which is always a fun thing, plus I wrote some fan fiction. Uh, it was... it was fun to do. Whether or not it will be fun for you to listen to remains to be seen. It should go without saying, but it won't. Anything you hear in this episode is fiction. Any similarity to reality is either coincidental or fictionalized for dramatic effect, except the stuff that's true. We're going to begin with the uh, the poem, the somewhat unfortunately titled Saucer Snatch, by the somewhat humorously named poet I Give a Damsky, which appeared in the third issue of Nexus, Jim Mosley's first saucer-oriented publication. At the zenith flew a saucer, glowing orange, green, and red. Mosley saw it, got excited, roused the neighbors out of bed. Nervously, they all peered skyward, stretching, straining, all agog, hoping for a saucer landing midst Fort Lee's smoke and smog. To one and all, Jim's voice was shaky. Space nappers come to take me high. Farewell, O world, my exile's over. Straight up he rose into the sky. If Mosley was abducted in 1954, as this poem suggests, then what strange creature impersonated him here on Earth after that? I think that's the real question ufologists should be considering. Now, the website, Saucers That Time Forgot, a while back posted some poems that had appeared in various newspapers way back in the day. This one is from the Boston Globe, July 7th, 1947, and it's entitled Help by an M. McCabe. Help, I fear I'm gonna die, cause every time I look aloft there are saucers in the sky. They whirl so weirdly and so fast beyond my line of vision, but when I mention what I see, I'm met with mean derision. Some saucers are so smooth and round, while some are sharp and ragged. I try to close my eyes and sleep, because my nerves are jagged. But when I'm deep in sleep, those discs keep whirling by. So, Doc, do something for me. I fear I'm gonna die. I've given up all liquor now, I rarely drink a Coke. And still I see those saucers, and really, it's no joke. It's no joke indeed. Poor guy. I hope he got the help he needed at some point. Um, I'm glad he's drinking Coke instead of Pepsi. That's the right that's the right life choice. And I hope you're drinking something you enjoy during this holiday season. And I hope it's not a Pepsi product. That stuff's trash. Okay, now uh, for a little bit, we're going to the depths of Usenet and the Alt-Alien Visitors news group. For some reason... Back around the turn of the century, there was a whole lot of poetry on there. There was a, a real sort of poetry trend on Usenet, and uh, way more than I expected to find. 
Let's start with this one. I like this one. Someone going by the name Richard Broadstreet of Indianapolis, Indiana, posted his poem called Experiments on the Alt-Alien Visitors Usenet group in early 1999. This This one's fun. When you are taken by a bright light in the middle of the night, they take you from your bed, your car, and into their vehicle. As you lay on the table naked, you struggle against what binds you to the cold metal table. The beings say, don't, don't struggle, struggle. We, won't we won't hurt, hurt, you. You. hurt you. They perform their wicked tests. They show you images of what is to come. You want to scream, but you cannot. They then return you to your bed, your car. You shall not remember what has occurred until a long time thereafter. The experiments continue all through your life. Experiments. Terribly frightening experiments. See? I bet you were a little skeptical when I said, I found this poem on Usenet. But that wasn't too bad, was it? And it's super creepy, and uh, well done to our reader Sasha for somehow making a poem that had no discernible rhyme or rhythm sound like a poem. Super creepy. Although, my assumption is that uh, Richard Broadstreet was male. I thought I'd subvert your expectations with it, so with a, with a, a woman reading it. So I, I liked that. One respondent on Usenet was uh, much less keen about, uh, about this poem than I... Well, no, they liked the poem. They were just sort of not very encouraging to the actual poet. Your poem encapsulates the terror of the abduction experience, but be warned, you're setting yourself up for excoriation by critics. Counter-poems written as sarcastic parodies may start to appear. You'll be told that abduction is bull****, so why give it publicity by writing poems about it, etc., etc. Good luck anyway. I really enjoy the grudging good luck anyway at the end of that. Sadly, I didn't see any sarcastic counter-poems to this one, and it seems like a bit of an odd concern to raise, unless you were on Usenet in the 1990s, in which case the threat of sarcastic counter-poems is, uh, is actually deeply realistic. And I do like his use of the word excoriate. We need more of that level of vocabulary in the saucer space. Also from Usenet is this poem with no title, but we'll call it Good Martians, Bad Martians. It was also written in uh, 1999 in response to something that um, came from abduction researcher and absolute loon Richard Boylan. Boylan was saying that there were really two sides of the same disinformation ploy of the rogue UFO cover-up organization. Said cover-up puts out disinformation version one. There are no aliens in contact with Earth. Therefore, you victims of paramilitary kidnapping and brutal interrogation and hypnotic altering of memory to misremember your kidnapping as an alien abduction can all shut up or else be judged crazy. Disinformation version 2 is that there are aliens visiting all right, but they're evil marauding predators. So all you borderline personality disorders and carer victim types can step forward with new and interesting tales to tell as long as it conforms to version 2.0. The truth is that 99.666% of extraterrestrial encounters involve benign and well-intentioned extraterrestrials communicating important messages and gathering important information for Earth's and humankind's survival. 
The truth is supported by the qualified, non-co-opted behavioral science professionals researching this field, such as myself and hundreds of other clinicians. 99.666% sure. We've mentioned Boyland here and there. Boylin, not Boyland. I always put a D on the end, but there isn't one. We've mentioned Boylan here and there, but be assured that 2020 will see probably an entire episode dedicated to the good doctor, the testimony from his various professional misconduct hearings, and why he probably shouldn't have called himself a clinician in 1999. Anyway, here's the poem. Good Martians, bad Martians, flying all around. Flying silently, they say, their ships don't make a sound. I see them in the mornings, see them in the eve. I see them levitating people from the streets. I see them in my breakfast cereal. I see them while I work. I see them in the grocery store when the guy behind me is a jerk. I see them in the laundry room, putting in way too much soap. I see them in an airplane, dashing all my hope. Good Martians, bad Martians, flying all around. If we didn't have them anywhere, we'd be falling asleep in front of our television sets, watching football and drinking beer and yelling at the kids. And I forgot to rhyme. Sorry. I hate cop-out endings on poems where they just sort of say a jokey, Oh, I forgot to rhyme. Bye, my poem's done. But we're getting UFO-themed poems from Usenet discussion boards, so I probably shouldn't be be too critical of things. Staying with alt-alien visitors... If There Were Aliens by a guy going by the name of Pops is another gem from 1998. And most of Pops' poems are kind of, they're they're kind of dumb. Um, They're they're sort of these sort of parody poems where he basically just makes fun of like one little thing that another poster said. But this one escapes far enough into the clever sort of zone that uh, that I thought it was, was worth looking at. But it has a weird, I can't call it a scheme. It's not a rhyme scheme. It has things in it that rhyme, but not consistently. It has weird rhyming. Rhythmically, it's uh, it's really odd too. So I had to do something to make this sort of not sound like somebody just having some sort of episode. If there were aliens in the sky, oh my, oh my, my, oh my. If there were aliens in the sky flying all around, Think I know what I'd do, I'd shoot me up one or two. Make them crash, then stomp them too. If there were aliens in the sky. Oh my, oh my, my, oh my, oh my. If there were aliens all around. On broomsticks, like witches. They'd scare kids down like Halloween scary times. Make us feel so sublime, baby. We'd feed them candy till they were sick. Cut off their heads and put them on a stick. If there were aliens in the sky, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. If there were aliens on the moon, it'd be too soon, much too soon. We'd send astronauts, they'd make them pay. They'd slap them up and down each day. They'd take their anti-gravity ray and shove it up their ashtray. If, (laughs) if there were aliens in the sky, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. I look up left, I look up right. There ain't a single alien in sight. I could be wrong, might be mistaken, might be some dream from my Jungian vacation. Maybe marsh gas, I don't know. Could be little John Mack directing a picture show. Hey Johnny, how you doing baby? Only one thing I know for sure, can't find none around here no more. Could be wrong, 
could be delusion, causing all of this confusion. But if there were aliens in the sky, oh my, oh my. My, oh my. Yeah. Yeah, dig it. Thank you for indulging my inner beatnik. And thank you to GarageBand for its extensive library of flute and, uh, and, and stand-up bass loops. That was helpful. Leaving poems aside for a second, this is a little something I, uh, I wrote in about 45 minutes one day in, in sort of this mad, unedited dash when, for some reason, I was thinking about Truman Bethram, as one does. Specifically, I was thinking about his later books and pamphlets that nobody ever talks about, unless you listen to this show, which were really kind of different in tone to his first and most well-known book. And none of the following ever happened, but I'm just sort of imagining the sort of transition in Truman's relationship with Aura and the Clarionites and what that might have been like. Although his work as a mechanic and on the flying saucer speaking circuit often kept Truman away from home and sleeping on his own, he didn't particularly enjoy it. Tonight was no different. Well, it was a little different. Mary was gone. He probably should have expected it. While he joked that she was jealous of his connection with the beautiful space saucer captain from Clarion, that wasn't really it. She just didn't believe him. Didn't believe any of it. He wanted to blame Adamski. Really, he did. It was Adamski who invited Mary and him out to Palomar. It was Adamski who talked him into hiring a ghostwriter and getting his story into the public eye. It was Adamski who was supposed to convince Mary that her husband was telling the truth. Miss Tennyson, the ghostwriter, had made things sound so positive at the end of the book, like everything was going to be fine, but things weren't fine. Things hadn't been fine. Mary left back in 55, and while people wanted Truman to talk to their saucer groups or community clubs, and he was getting all kinds of attention, he just missed... I mean, really, he thought. I miss Mary. Really. Like hell I do, he thought. How could he miss Mary, who hadn't believed him? Mary, who hadn't trusted him? Mary, who refused to be part of his life now that his eyes had been opened and he knew the wonders that existed out in the stars? No, he didn't miss Mary. He missed her. Aura. The woman. Uh, she was a woman, right? Space people weren't that different. A anyway... He missed the woman who had captained the Clarionite scow, the woman who that ridiculous ghostwriter had clumsily labeled tops in shapeliness and beauty, the woman who said she'd come back, who said she'd come back to take him to the stars. He missed her. Silly little beret and all, he missed her. What would life have been like if he'd been able to go on her ship back to Clarion? Could he have lived there? Who knows? It was useless to discuss it. On nights like this, when the loneliness got to be almost too much and he thought about all that he'd lost, Truman sometimes wondered if anything had really happened to him at all. I mean, people do go nuts, he often thought to himself. Did he really see a ship? Did he really meet a captain named Aura Rains? Yes. The voice didn't come from outside. Didn't come from inside the room. He heard it, but didn't hear it. He felt it, like a dull pressure inside his mind. Not inside his brain, not a pressure anywhere he could actually physically feel it. We met. We'll meet again. Truman struggled to figure out how to respond. 
He didn't see the lights from the scow. He didn't see another person. And that voice was, was, was like Aura's, but different. Why was it coming from inside his head? I guess it was his head. How was it coming from there? He concentrated, formed his thoughts into words, and attempted to send those words in turn as thoughts, a broadcast to wherever this voice was coming from. Is that you? Aura? Yes, it's Aura. Why are you talking to me like this? Because you're ready. Because you need to hear me. Because I want to help you, but I'm so far away. Are you on Clarion or or in space? It's more complicated than that. And I wish I could explain a little better in a way that made sense to your Earth mind. Space science is so difficult for three-dimensional beings to understand. Are you coming here soon? I want to see you. I I want to travel with you. I've got no one here. Not now. Take me with you. Oh, Truman. I'm far away. But I'm closer than you can imagine. Some of your people. Some of them can communicate with us without a physical presence or proximity to us. You're one of those. You are now, anyway. We can talk. I don't need to be there. You don't need to be here. But I want to be there, don't you understand? You promised. You said you'd come back. And I did. I'm here now. That ain't what I mean, and you know it. I know. It's difficult. You're lonely? You bet I am, sister. You bet I am. That will change. Before too long, it'll change. But you need to keep spreading your message, telling others about Clarion. That's the only way you'll find your new love. So I take it you're not going to be this new love. She laughed. It wasn't a harsh laugh or a cruel laugh, but it, it hurt just the same. Oh, no. No, there's someone else in your future. Of course, to me, it's the past. It's already happened. But under the giant rock, you'll become one flesh, one spirit. I'll give you more words, more stories, more wisdom, and you'll complete your journey. And what if I don't agree? You don't understand. It's already happened. For me, at least, it's already happened. This is your path. Be ready to write, Truman. And the voice was gone. It was like that feeling you have when a headache goes away. There's an absence in your, in your head you just can't explain, but there was a light, a bright light that was in his head, not in front of his eyes, and now words, words that contained secrets and stories that had to be told. Truman scrambled for a pencil and a pad of paper and began writing things down, guidelines for how governments should run, how religion should be, the dangers of communism, how to fix things, how to fix everything. But they didn't sound like her words. They sounded different. But somehow they made sense, and he kept writing long into the night until the California sun rose over the horizon. She was back. She was here. And he would spread the message that she gave him, and he wouldn't be alone. Not ever again. So, back to some poetry after that uh, After that fictional interlude. Um, if you didn't like it, take comfort in this it could have been longer okay poetry this one is by a woman named lilith lorraine and it was from an issue of gray barker's saucerian magazine it's called mutations but despite its title it's not about alien human hybrids or otherwise creepy stuff at all rather it's a pretty straightforward peace love and harmony type thing um, it appeared in the spring 1955 issue of Gray Barker's Saucerian magazine. 
The guardians from their palomars, beyond the solar girth, peered through the fiery vein of stars upon a crimson earth. Long had they watched with fevered strife of man at war with man. Long had they watched him war with life against the eternal plan. Until at last, with light that blinds, leaped forth a tongue of flame, and from the parliament of minds the awful judgment came. No world must turn from peace and spurn, creation's mightiest law, who slays his brother must return to talon and to claw. The sky was filled with radiant shapes who speak when justice fails, and in the tree the newborn apes swung from their clumsy tails. I like that one. I like the uh, the contactee-ish nature of it. I like the use of the word Palomar, uh, which is a nice little nod to Professor Adamski, whose hamburger stand and amateur telescope were somewhere in the vicinity of Mount Palomar, if not actually in the observatory him, it's himself, the observatory himself, uh, the observatory itself. Okay, this next one is odd. Well, it... it, it yeah. It's not odd. It comes from an odd place. I found it in the website of the website of uh, Kufan, the computer UFO network, which apparently was a real thing once upon a time. It appeared, according to the website, in the March 1950 sort of bound published history of the 27th Fighter Group at Bergstrom Air Force Base in Texas and was written by a technical sergeant Barnes. Hearing tales of little men and speeding ships on high, around me almost every day, I cast a weary eye. Today I saw men gathered around the hangar door. They said they saw a saucer, a tiny ship, they swore. They pointed to the cloudless sky, past vapor trails, they sigh. I saw a far-off something shining in the sky. We watched it hard. It seemed to move as vapors drifted by. I felt the strangest feelings. Of course, I know not why. A weather balloon sent up to give the weather for the day. Some said a star that shines so bright, we see it in the day. Illusions, stars, or man-made things. Ships from other planets. We watched, we talked, and wondered. But none of us could name it. Because I could not give them, the answer is not given. What is the thing that shines so bright, so far up in the heavens? Okay. Well, it's interesting. I liked that one. Uh, but not everyone is a fan of UFO poems. Uh, perhaps some of you out there are not fans of UFO poems. But one last poster on alt-alien visitors we want to hear from had this to say. Can we stop all this wasted bandwidth on poems? I hang out in this news group because it's much more informative than Art Bell and much more entertaining. But poems? Come on, people. Where are the aliens? Much more informative than Art Bell is probably the, the greatest example of damning with faint praise that I have ever encountered. But the man has a point. No more poems. Let's go. This episode featured Nelson Sanat reading The Flying Saucer, Sasha Gimlinson reading Experiments, 
and Roberta Evangeline Straith reading Mutation. Um, weird noodling on the uh, on a synthesizer was uh, was done by me. Um, your <laughs> You're welcome. This is the last episode of 2019 and the last of season eight, as Apple Podcasts has it listed. We'll return in our customary two weeks with the opening of season nine. Wow. Nothing much will change. And what does will be minor and hopefully for the better. The topic in two weeks, an essay called The Controllers and its author Martin Cannon. It's about the possible connections between mind control experimentation and the abduction phenomenon. While this is the main focus, the topic and the people involved will incur some extracurricular activity for us, and I expect the footnote sound effect may get a workout. You can check out past episodes, read some reviews of saucer-related stuff, and support the show at saucerlife.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram at saucerlife, or you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com, and you can also contact us by post at Chizo Media, P.O. Box 68, Grand Blanc, Michigan, 48480. The associate producer of The Saucer Life is Simpson J. Hanover III. The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media, LLC. Chizo Media, working for the good of mankind, along the lines of truth. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because there are people out there in the skies who apparently want to strap you down naked to a metal table. Merry Christmas. Thank <laughs> you.